I'm DJ TLM, and this is Share the Knowledge. Today's podcast is brought to you by Banzoogle. One, two, one, two, what's going on? Welcome to episode 65 of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM, and this is where I share my 25 plus years of DJ experience and answer as many questions as I possibly can. This is my way of contributing to just the DJ culture, try to add some value any way that I can. And I'm also filming this for YouTube. So if you're not familiar with my YouTube channel, that's DJ TLM TV. And that channel is just filled with Q&As, tips and tricks, tutorials, reviews. And I'll be adding a lot of reviews in the coming weeks and months. I've been cooking up a lot of different stuff. So I'm excited about that. So if you're new to DJ TLM TV, make sure you check that out and consider subscribing. If you do subscribe, make sure you activate notifications. I have to add that because in the last couple of weeks... Months even, but especially the last couple of weeks, I've been receiving a lot of questions from people who've been subscribed to the channel for a long time, and they're asking me um, when I'm uploading a new video because it's been months. In the last couple of months, I uploaded not that many videos, but at least like eight or ten videos. So the fact that they're telling me that they haven't seen videos in months or longer, that tells me that even if you're subscribed, somehow you can miss out in your subscription timeline. So activate notifications and um, yeah, that should help. So make sure you check out the channel or just go to the channel page, click on videos, and then you can see all of the latest videos. Uh, That's enough for that plug. All the links to everything I mentioned will be in the description box down below. So make sure you check that out as well. And a special shout out and thank you to the sponsor of today's episode. And that is Banzoogle. You've heard me mention this before. Banzoogle is one of the sponsors that really supports the show. And if you want to check out everything that they do, follow the link in the description. And if you check their free trial, you want to go for a full subscription, you can use the code SHARE to get a nice discount on that. I'll talk more about uh, Banzoogle later on in the episode. So let's get right into it. This time, I'm not going to go to IG. I might do that a little bit later on, but I'm going to start on YouTube. I was talking about YouTube already. Uh, There's a lot of comments being dropped on new videos, old videos, and there's always a couple of questions in there that could be good to answer. Now, look, the reason why I use the comment section and use those questions is a lot of times I will recognize that a question will have more value if I answer it just in a show like this for a video clip like this instead of just responding, replying in that comment section. There might be a couple of people who read it in the comment section, but for most of you, you're going to miss out on my answer. So it makes a lot more sense for me to do that right here. Now, this is a technical question and it's a very good question. And the question is, If you want to mix from one song to the next song and you want to start song number two on a certain part, but this part does not start on a one, so it doesn't start on the one count. If this is the case, do you still drop it on the one or do you start your drop um, where the count of song two actually begins? Now, look, this is a very, very good question. Uh, I actually misread the question a little bit, but here's the scenario. A lot of times when we're talking about mixing, we're talking about doing transitions, how you need to learn how to count music, and that you work with certain structures and you start your count on the one, that's mostly where the drums or where the beat begins. We're always talking about that you have two options. You can mix or you don't mix and you just drop the new song on the one, on the one count. That only applies if that next song that you're going to drop actually starts on a one count. 
And a lot of times this can work, especially if it's just like a beat that starts with like a drum on the one, bang, that's an easy start. But there's also tracks that don't start on the one. They'll start at a different part of the song. Now this could be, for example, a song that actually starts with a snare or a clap that comes before the one. So just imagine if we have a tempo right here, this is the tempo, now count it with me. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. You hear that those snaps or claps or snare drums, they fall on the two and four. I have a bunch of tracks that will start with a clap or a snare and then go into the one, meaning that that track or those tracks actually start on the four count. So in that case, if you're gonna use that track to mix it in and you have one song playing, you're not gonna drop that snare or that clap on the one because it's a four. If you drop that four on the one, you're gonna mess up the entire song. If you're gonna make a transition, you're gonna have kicks and snares fighting from both tracks, that doesn't work. That's why it's so important that you know how to count music so that you can recognize if a song actually starts on a one. So to answer the question, do you start that new song on the count where it begins uh, or do you start it on the one count? You start where that begins. So if we have a track that starts on a snare drum that starts on the four, if you're gonna do a transition, you're gonna count that other song and when that other song hits the four before it goes back into a new phrase, that's where you start it. So if it's a transition, that track is playing track one, and you know that the verse, the chorus is about to begin, you wait until you get there, and then you count it off until you get to that last four before the chorus, that's where you drop your snare, and then the transition is gonna make sense. Now. I understand for some of you, this made perfect sense. For a lot of you, maybe this is more confusing than helpful. So this is one of those perfect occasions for me to also make a video. So I'll shoot that video this week, drop it on the channel. Now, you may have noticed a pattern that there's more videos ending up on my YouTube channel talking about counting. I feel it's great and I'm really appreciative of the fact that a lot more questions are being asked because I don't feel that enough attention is being paid to the importance of counting that music. So um, yes, 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 always make sure you check where an actual track begins, if that is on a one, and if it's not on a one, you're gonna have to count and find out where it begins. I gave you a pretty basic example of tracks that start on the four. I also have tracks that will start on that half count. So they'll start, if you're not familiar with the half count, that's the count between a one, two, three, four, and you count those by adding an and in between. So one and two and three and four and one and two. Those ands are all half counts in between. So I have tracks that will start um, like a half count before the one. So they don't start on the four, but they start on the four and right there. And you're gonna have to hear a new song, notice that it's not the one, and then find out where it actually begins. But once you know it, you know it. And as soon as you get more familiar or more comfortable with counting, you just notice and you can just tell by listening like, Okay, I know where to throw that in. You're not even counting anymore, but in the beginning, you will need to count. So I hope that helps you out, and I'll shoot that video this week. That's gonna be a, yeah, that's gonna be a cool little video to shoot. Shouldn't be too complicated to do that. 
Yes, we have another good question over here. So let's talk about this. Uh, this was a comment for my Does Being a DJ Ruin Your Personal Life video, also on the YouTube channel. Uh, so this is about balancing DJ life with personal life, family life, stuff like that. So let's check out this question. I DJ at home as a hobby for myself now, but 25 years ago, I did some gigs for money and uh, to further my career. When I finally settled down at 30, my wife and kids took precedence. My wife didn't mind if I DJed or produced as long as it, one, paid me, and two, didn't take time away from family duties. So I now only do it as a hobby, and I've never been able to finish a mixtape or produce a beat in one sitting because family life has interrupted my flow. So sometimes I do it only when I get an itch, quote-unquote itch, or when I have some alone time, uh, alone downtime. I don't get many gigs anymore. I do one wedding or party every four or five years, and I produce one beat every two to six months. I DJ for about one hour, two or three times a month, and that's all the time I have right now. That's only when no one is home. Look, this is not really a question. I understand that. It was a comment, but it's a comment that I like to reply on. Uh, I'm not sure if the person left a comment because they were not happy with their situation or if it was just to share their two cents, like, hey, this is how it's working out for me. Now, as far as the gig part goes, that's a little bit difficult. You can't never spend any time on trying to get gigs and then expect there to be more gigs. So let's leave that one out. But if we're talking about something you love to do and you can do at home, so making beats, DJing, you could perfectly do that at home, not worry about having a career just as that entertainment for yourself, that hobby that really um, fills up a gap. Like like being creative is fun to a lot of people. Having your records at home, having fun with your decks, uh, turntables, or whatever you're using is fun. For a lot of us, it's just a lot of fun. I can imagine myself never playing again, like in the future, like not gigging anymore because I just don't want to do it anymore. I would always still have at least one set at home so I can have fun, have fun. That's what it's all about. So it should be easily achievable for you to have more than like two or three hours a month to spend some time behind the decks. And you should have a little more time to make one beat in two or th two to six months. That should be more. If you would want it to be more, if you're perfectly fine with the way things are right now, uh, then enjoy it like that. But here's the thing I want to address. So this is not aimed towards the person who left the comment because I don't know how you're feeling about your situation. But I do know that it's a fact that a lot of us do not manage our time the right way. And this goes beyond just um, work-life balance, as a lot of people like to call it. We all have to figure out what works for us when it comes to combining family life and a career. It doesn't even have to be a DJ career, but a career. That's always going to be a thing. A lot of people, though, don't really prioritize what they should. So if we're talking about you want to advance in your career, you should be really making sure that you're spending your time on the right things. If it's just about finding, finding more time to spend on a hobby you really love, you should be able to do that as well. And I know that a lot of us, including me, I'm very guilty of this, 
spend way too much time on things that don't matter or don't add any real value to your life. Now, currently, it's okay for me, but I've, I've had years where I was working hard on my DJ career, but at the same time, I could have been doing a lot more because I was spending a lot of hours just not being that productive. And we all need our downtime. We all need to have our little relaxation. But I'm pretty sure a lot of you have been in situations where you realize that, hey, I just watched three hours of uh, YouTube videos or I just played four hours of Xbox or you name it. Now, uh, every now and then that's cool. But for a lot of us, we just spend way too much time. Or you got that mobile game on your phone, and every time you have like a 10 or 15 minutes, you grab that phone and you get on that game. At the end of that day, you probably did that three, four, five times. That's a lot of time. We're talking about maybe another like hour of time. And there's only so many hours in a day. You need to have your six to eight hours to sleep. You need to spend time at work if you have a job. You have like an eight-hour, nine-hour, ten-hour workday. You got to spend that time. Then you got time that you need to spend with the family, just responsibilities. Maybe you have to pick up the kids. Maybe you have to make dinner. You name it. Um, with all that being said, there's always going to be those couple of hours left that could be spent on something productive or just something that adds really some value to your life. And yes, I consider having a hobby like this to add some value to your life because it can be your creative output. Even if you have no aspirations to be a DJ who plays in clubs or stuff like that, but you have it at home and this really fulfills the need that you have. You get to be creative when it comes to just playing around with your music. Uh, that is something that adds some real value to your life that can just in increase your happiness. And I feel that's important. So not to that person, but to other people out there struggling right now because you feel you don't really have the time to do what you want to do. And I do get like questions about that as well. People telling me that they don't have the time to practice. They can only practice once a week uh, when they have a set at home. Now, in my eyes, that's unacceptable if you really want to reach a certain goal. So for instance, if you're working on improving your skills um, you can't tell me that you only have one hour a week. I'm not buying it. So if you take a closer look at your own life, you're probably going to find a lot of things that are going on on a day-to-day -day basis or a couple of days a week where you could have spent that time on the thing that you really want to spend time on. So I still struggle with it from time to time, and I catch myself every now and then like, man, really I just spent like, 45 minutes on just having a bit of lunch. That did not need to be 45 minutes just to eat a little something. That could have been done in 20, 25. I would have had my, my, my lunch would have been finished and done and I could have been on my way. But you take your time, you grab that phone, you watch an extra video. And right there, I just stole, basically stole 25, 20 to 25 minutes of my own time that I could have spent on maybe recording another episode of the podcast or uh, uh, record maybe uh, a video, you name it. Small things can add up. So just keep that in mind. And if you need more time to spend on the thing you want to spend time on, 
Prioritize. Take a good close look at how you're actually spending your time. Not the bulk of your time, but those small things, those add up. Before we move on, I want to send a shout out to the sponsor of this episode, Banzoogle. Banzoogle is a website building service. So if you're looking to build your own website or you know that it's time for you to have that homepage where people can find all your info. I mean, everyone's on social media. I get that. We got our Twitter. We got our Facebook. We got our IG, our Snap. We got all of that. Maybe you got a YouTube channel. Uh, I still believe that it's always a good thing to have a website as well. I have djtlm.com. I have sharedthenowledgepodcast.com. So people can find a lot of the information there as well. Now, building websites, that's a different thing. A lot of people don't have time for that, don't have the skill for that. You can build your own site using like a WordPress uh, uh, site. They're pretty good, but they still require you to find out how to actually work with a lot of the plugins. You have to update everything all the time. It's still a lot of work. With Banzoogle, you can use one of their thousands of templates, and all you actually have to do is just customize, very easy with a nice website builder, um, and add your content, everything else is handled. So you don't have to worry about updates. They've implemented a lot of plugins into the site that are actually made for musicians because the people behind Banzoogle are musicians themselves. So they have a great tool to sell merch commission-free, so you're not giving them a percentage of that. And um, uh, just a mailing list builder, you can have all of your music on there as well. So I'm just very happy with it, and I made my website for the podcast like in no time. Just pick the template, Changed a couple colors, which is really easy to do. Added my content. Bang, good to go. ShareTheKnowledgePodcast.com. So if you want to try them out, you can try it out for free for a month. And if you like what you see, you want to get a subscription, use the code SHARE. All the info is in the link down below. And uh, you get a discount on your first gear. Shout out to Banzoogle. Uh, let's see if we have anything else. Uh, controller, not for scratch, dude. Controller is toys. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to go get into that. That is just, that. that is too old to get into, man. Not when it was posted. That was posted like a day ago, but just that topic is, no, we're not going to do that. All right, I see one thing I want to mention right now, and that has to do with Serato. I think it's important to mention this because for people that have been in the game like a couple of years, we're familiar with this fact, but if you're starting out now, you probably missed out on it. So quick history lesson. Uh, we're talking about Serato DJ, that is DJ software. And before it became Serato DJ, it was known as Serato Scratch Live. That was the first name of the software. Uh, the thing is, when Serato Scratch Live came out, you could use it with an audio interface called the SL1 that was manufactured by Rain, and they also had a mixer that was the Rain TTM57. Now, at a certain point, you had Serato Scratch Live, and then they had a version called Serato Itch that was made for MIDI controllers, and they decided at a certain point, uh, rightfully so, to not have separate software anymore, just have one version that would work for controllers and DVS, and that became Serato DJ. Um, there was also new hardware out at the time, so you had newer audio interfaces, the SL2 and SL3 and 4. Of course, Rain came with their 62, and at a certain point, their TTM57 Mark II. Uh, but then Serato also announced that they, at a certain point, would no longer 
bring out new updates for Serato Scratch Live. That was the old version. And that the SL1 and the TTM57 mixer would also not work with their newer software, Serato DJ. All right, so I hope you're still following me. So in this case, I received a question, and I received more questions like this. And the question is, I'm thinking about buying the SL1, and is the sound quality better in the SL2, 3, or 4, uh, or not that much? Uh, now, first off, I do believe there is a quality difference, and right now I'm too lazy to go to Google to check that out, but you could definitely do that yourself and check that out. You can find the specifications of the SL1 um, and check out the specifications on the SL234. I believe the SL1 still uses like a USB 1.1 or older version. Uh, that's going to make a little difference. And there were a couple other things that are different about those audio interfaces. But the important thing to realize is if you buy an SL1 now, and they're still available secondhand, you can only use that with Serato Scratch Live. Now, I know there's DJs out there that have been DJing for a long time. Uh, with Serato Scratch Live who still use Scratch Live because to them... That's what they like. They know it works. And I don't want to call it fear, but I know there's people out there, once they have something working the way they want it to work, they're really reluctant to update or go for the new because most likely the new thing will be a little bit different. And Serato DJ, it really looks a lot like Serato Scratch Live, but it is a little bit different. And certain things didn't exactly work the same way as they did on Serato Scratch Live. Now, to me personally, I could never understand sticking to something that is that old because there's so many newer features in Serato DJ. Uh, but I do understand from a comfort zone perspective that people just stick with what they know. But if you're using Scratch Live, that's going to be with that SL1. You're not going to be able to use Serato DJ, Serato DJ Pro if you have that SL1. So to me, that's probably even a more important factor than maybe the difference in audio quality. But I do believe that there's also... Uh, better audio quality with the SL2, 3, and 4. But please keep that in mind if you're getting into Serato now that you make sure you check if you're going to buy some hardware if that hardware is actually for Serato DJ and SL1 and the TTM57 are not for Serato DJ, just Serato Scratch Live. All right, like I said, for a lot of you, it's probably not that important. Uh, but if you're thinking about that, then this was for you. All right, this one I want to talk about as well. This is a comment that was left under my how to deal with song request videos. And in that video, I talk about how you can how you can deal with people requesting songs. It's something that DJs have to deal with when you're playing in a club. You're going to have people walk up to the booth asking you all sorts of things, uh, bothering you in certain cases. And for some DJs, it's perfect. They don't mind. They'll play anything for other DJs. It's like their worst nightmare. They do not want to hear anyone's request. You have to figure out what works for you. But in that video, I explain how I deal with it. And um, yeah, it's a well-received video. But this is a comment here. And the comment is, never say no. Always be positive, even if you're not going to play it at the end. Chances are they'll be too drunk or busy to remember. Of course, if they keep coming, you might just try to play it. And if you surely can't, then just say, well, sorry, I can't find it for now. Never say haven't got it, especially if it's a kind of hit or popular. 
Um, yeah, I totally disagree. <laughs> Just like that. I understand where you're coming from. And I do agree that you always want to communicate with the patron, with the customer, with the client, even though they're not your client. They're visiting the club and you're playing for that club. Um, you always want to communicate with them in a way that can be considered positive. You don't want to be the grumpy DJ just dismissing someone. I mean, if you can prevent it. If you know for a fact that you have a hard time staying positive when people approach you, then it's probably even a better idea to have someone else at the booth, in the booth, who can just keep those people away from you so you don't have to communicate with them. But if you are the one in the booth and people are coming up to you, um, if I don't have a song or I don't plan to play a song, I will let the person know. Now, some DJs, and I can't say if that's the case for this DJ, some DJs fear that they're going to upset someone and that they might complain about you. I just totally don't care about that. I don't. Now, I definitely used the excuse of not being able to find it. Back in the days, I didn't have to because I had vinyl. And if I didn't have it, I didn't have it. But even then, I had some song requests that I didn't want to play then. And even though I had the vinyl, I would just tell them, I, I don't know where it is. I can't find it. I have the, the sleeve right here, but it's not in there. I mean, yes, you would lie sometimes. But uh, with Serato, I've done the same thing. Like someone would request something. I would actually just go over to my laptop, pretend for a second that I was looking for a song, and then tell them, like, I don't, I don't see it. I don't understand. It's not here. Um, I kind of stopped doing that at a certain point. I just don't feel I want to spend any time being, I don't want to say fake, but I don't want to spend any time on something like that. So I don't want to take time away from my performance to act like I'm looking for a song when I know already that I'm not going to play that song. So I'm just very upfront with that now. And it's not gonna like I'm going to say it in a crazy negative way, but to me, this is not like hostage negotiation where you can't say no or otherwise something bad will happen. I believe that's one of the rules that they never want to just say no and just twist it in a different way. We're DJs. So if I'm playing and someone requests a song and I just know that I'm not going to play that song, maybe because it just totally doesn't fit the circumstance or more importantly, because I just totally don't like and never play that song. So if someone requests a song that I don't play, I'll just tell them, no, sorry, I'm not going to play that. You can ask the other DJ. I don't care. I don't care if the person would complain or tell their friends, like, no, I don't like that DJ uh, because he didn't have that song. I could really care less. I'm not there to build this perception that I'm, like, this great guy playing everything. If I don't play that, I don't play that, and I'll just let you know. Now, this grew over time. So this might be the same for this person right now. They're still approaching it that way. At a certain point, you just want to be you and you get tired of dealing with situations like that. I still don't mind requests all the time. I have situations where a request can really help you out. Like if you're playing at an event, at a club, at, in a town where you've never been before, and you're having a little bit of a harder time to catch on to what their vibe is, what they're into, then a couple of requests can really help you to find like, okay, so that's what you're into over here. 
Understand what I'm saying? Like if you have a couple of people requesting a certain type of song, that's going to tell you a lot about what a portion of the crowd, not saying everyone, but at least a portion of the crowd is into. Um, so I find that it can be helpful in those situations. But uh, beyond that, no, not really. Now, if someone requests a song that I have and I normally play, but it's just the wrong time, I'll tell them that, exactly that. I'll tell them like, uh, yeah, I have it. I'm not going to play that now. It's just like it's either it's like way too slow or uh, most of the times it's the other way around and I'm still in a warm-up phase and they request a hit and I'll let them know, yeah, I'm playing that later. Now, they don't always like that answer because they request and they want to hear it now, but I'm not a jukebox. So, yes, with those hits, I know I'm going to be playing them later, but they're, they're just going to have to wait. I'm not going to just play a hit when you got 20 people in the club and one out of those 20 people wants to hear that hit right then and there. That track is being saved for later on when I have an actual crowd there to play to. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about that. I just don't agree, but to each his own. And to be fair, it also really depends what market you're playing to. Like if we're talking about a normal club, that's different when you're playing um, in one of those bars situated in a, uh, a street where you just have tourist bars and where the bar owner just wants you to play whatever to keep the customer happy and keep him there, keep him drinking, you name it. I understand that situations can be differently, uh, can be different. So I can't really say because I don't know where this person is playing, but I just got tired of the not saying no and always be positive and let them feel as if you're going to do what they're asking, even if you're not going to do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just done with that. And at the end of the day, it's also about I want to be able to just do what I came to do. And being a jukebox is not part of my resume. I have a skill where I can actually read the crowd. Uh, I do my research so I know what type of party I'm playing. So I know the type of music that is expected of me. I know how to build a party. So I don't need people to come in with their personal requests because they want to hear something. Um, yeah, you, you, you get kind of tired of that. Now, there are situations, and I know I'm rambling about this now. I didn't know I was going to talk about this this long. But there have been situations where the vibe is so cool and you got such a good energy with the crowd that it's pretty obvious that they're totally into what you're doing, that they're actually coming up with all sorts of songs that fit perfectly with what you're doing. I don't have them often, but I had a couple of those parties where like every request that people were coming with was not a request from someone who wants to hear what they want to hear. They're like, oh, they're totally into what you're doing. And they're actually just letting you know, like, yo, you can play this, 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 and that as well. We're totally into what you're doing. At that point, it becomes a different thing. Then all of a sudden, we're just having a great old time together. But in most situations when DJs are talking about requests, we're not talking about those situations. We're talking about people coming up, asking things that totally make no sense with what's going on at that current moment. And even if you have 99% of the club rocking to what you're doing, you're always going to have that 1% that will come up to the booth and they're going to ask for songs that make no sense at that current time, make no sense at the event where you're playing at, um, and they're just doing it for their own personal interest because they feel that that's what they want to hear. And I got tired of just being the smiling DJ, lying to their face as if I'm going to please uh, that request when I'm not going to do that. I guess that's the basic bottom line for me.
So we're going to go back to counting right now. Yes, again. And look, this only shows me the importance of talking about this a lot more. There's so many questions about counting, and for a lot of people, it is still such a confusing subject. Now, this also has to do with actually counting bars. I'm going to read this question. This was a comment that was left under my How to Count Music Without Drums. Uh, I did that video, uh, I think, a week, week or two ago. Um let me just try to read this question the right way. So the question is, um, you can always count one bar as two bars by counting three on the actual two. All right, you lost me there already. I'm going to continue reading first. Besides natural rhythm, how is it decided that the song has what tempo of bars or how many bars? Is that what official beats per minute mean? So here's the thing, and I see a lot of people kind of confusing this. The BPM, beats per minute, doesn't have anything to do with counting bars. All it explains is the tempo. Beats per minute explains the tempo of a track. And if you're counting beats, so let's just take a simple four to the floor pattern, a house beat. So one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Those are beats. I'm counting four beats, and every time I get to four, I count it one bar. Now, if the track is playing faster, it'll be one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. If the track is playing slower, it's going to be one, two, three, four. It's still counting the exact same way. The tempo of the track dictates if you're counting slower or faster, but you're still counting that same one, two, three, four. There's no different way of counting um, a track that has the 4-4 four, four time signature. That's always going to be 1, 2, 3, 4, and you're just following the beat. That's going to just, it's going to be faster or slower depending on how fast the track is playing. So um, there's nothing that, there's, there's no such thing as the tempo of the bars. There's just the tempo of the track. It's playing at a certain speed, and they define that by telling you how many beats go into a minute. You have to imagine if you play a track for 60 seconds and it's a fast house track, you're going to have a lot of beats within 60 seconds. That's how they actually did BPM when they didn't have computers. You would grab a record, you would have a stopwatch, and you would go to 60 or maybe just go to 30 seconds. So you start the track and you click. And once you start, you start to count the beats. So bang, two, three, four, one, seven, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You count those beats. And once you get to 30, you stop and you're gonna have a certain amount. So maybe you counted um 62 beats in those 30 seconds. Now you have to multiply that by two to get 60 seconds. So if I counted uh 62 beats, that's gonna be a uh, hundred and twenty-four beats per minute or you just go to 60 and you keep on counting until you get to 60 but that takes a long time you can just count to 30 you can even count to 15 multiply by four but that's how they used to do it stopwatch count beats then they would have the beats per minute so that's it for episode 65 of the Share the Knowledge podcast. I want to thank you for tuning in once again. You can also check out the video footage on my YouTube channel, DJTLMTV. And I'll be back next week. If you want to ask me questions, uh, the handle on social is DJTLM everywhere or send me an email, sharetheknowledge at DJTLM.com. Um, that's it. That's all. No more plugs. Links in the description. I'll be back next week. Peace.